0: Welcome to the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You may attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-520-80640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from heather a was recorded on december 7th 2023 good evening everyone it's nine o'clock here in new york um i am very um humbled and grateful to be asked to share my experience strength and hope with you all thank you jen for recruiting me um to speak and um it means a lot to me um also, I want to especially welcome any newcomers. And also, um, uh, as they say in the readings, um, even if there was not any apparent um, alcoholic uh, addictive behavior, especially welcome you. This is not my story, which you will hear. But um, I want to make sure um, you understand that um, you know it's important that you keep coming back. If you hear something in my story, and you feel like, oh, I didn't have it so bad, Keep coming back. Um, so I just want to say that at the outset. One of the things in the literature is says, How do we do this with um, you know, um, you know, hu- uh humor, love and respect kind of thing. Humor has never been my strong point. So I do want to say at the outset that the very first album that I ever had as a child was Bill Cosby's I Started Out as a Child, an LP at the time. Um, and I just say that because I have I love music and audio stuff and I came out of that background um but my um entry in this into this world was hard enough and my story um uh my I survived childhood and uh and I'll just start there so uh to root me into the foundational part of this um I was born I was born and raised in San Diego San Diego County I was born in Ocean Beach San Diego but I spent most of my um uh childhood uh in East County um I know that there's a lot of people on this call from San Diego um, and it makes me feel at home to to know that because you know San Diego County is larger than some states from you know the from larger than Connecticut you know or something it's just it's a very big county and I grew up um, all over it was born in 1965. Um uh in what would have been I guess considered the halcyon hippie days of uh you know uh, Southern California. Um my mother was already mentally uh, moved out and divorced from my father before I was even born. They didn't separate until I was about two and a half or three, but um, the partnership was over by that point. Um, A little background in terms of the um, multi-generational aspect of my family and how I came to be born in San Diego on my father's side my father was born in a little uh town called panama in oklahoma that's eastern oklahoma in leflore county oklahoma um my my dad's side of the family was definitely the grapes of wrath oki experience they had uh, migrated um eventually to california Um, they followed their friends there during that whole um historical uh episode in our country um my grandfather my father's father um died of alcoholism before i was born my dad was always the lost child i would say um in you know some of the dynamics that we talk about my mother was born in uh indianapolis um my father's folks were very poor, dirt poor, really oaky, real, real poor. My mother's side of the family was more upwardly mobile. Um, they ended up in California, as um, in San Diego. And my mom and my dad went to the same high school. And they met each other and got together just soon after high school. My mother... Um, my mother had a lot of problems. You know, my mother uh, was a real wild child. She did not want to get married. She did not want to work. She just wanted to party. Um, I do have pictures of my mom uh, drinking and smoking while she was pregnant with me. My mom was also prescribed um, amphetamines. Uh, mother's little helper um, after after the birth of my sister, who's older than me. So she was also on amphetamines as well. Um, during her pregnancy with me. I think that that had a big impact. Um, I do have, uh, and my mom was violent. So I do have to say that, so my my sister and I, my sister's two years old and my sister and I ended up living with my uh, paternal grandmother uh, by the time that I was three and a half because my mom thought she was gonna kill us. Uh, She was abusing us physically. she was she and, and, you know, she did try. She did try. You know, I do have memories of being a small child. A lot of people come out of the system with no memories. So I have a lot of memories. I hold the memories. My sister has none. She can't remember any of the stuff that happened. I remember all of it. Um, it feels like I do. Um, and it was scary. So I really feel like I came into this world um, fearful, afraid of my mom. I was the. Um, um I would say my sister was the sullen one and I was the one that was trying to fawn on my mom you know so that I would stay out of trouble um when I we when I went to live with my grandmother we moved a lot um a lot I uh went to three first grades for example um we were evicted a lot nobody was working um I I feel like I try to, you know, we talked a lot about in other areas about class background, you know, working class, upper class, middle class, whatever. I feel like most of my childhood was in the outlaw class, right? There was a lot of illegal things happening, (laughs) drug dealing, um, jail, Um, my mom you know, worked the streets for a while while she moved to New York, you know, when I was a, a a small child living with my grandmother and my mom worked Park Avenue South as a prostitute for a while. Um, and I say these things because uh, for clarity, right? Like Tony A's, we talk about, you know, talking about our parents and, and having clarity about, about stuff. So, so it was, it was really scary, you know? Um, I did have a lot of angels uh growing up. Uh teachers wanted to look after me, you know, people were were concerned, you know, for me and what was happening in my life. I must have talked about things to my teachers. One of my first grade teachers came to my grandmother and asked to adopt me. Of course, you know, um you know, our system was very closed, uh, you know, alcoholic and addiction, addiction systems are very closed and that like wasn't gonna happen. My life would have been very different if I had been adopted out at six, you know. Um uh, so While I was with my grandmother, uh, my sister and I, my uh, father's brother also had children that he was unable to take care of. So my cousins were like my siblings. and We all lived under one roof. We moved a lot, Santee, El Cajon, um, Lemon Grove, Spring Valley, you know, uh, I was all over, uh, you know, in that area, uh, uh, moving around a lot. Um, Let's see. uh, When I was nine, my sister was older my grandmother my 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 mother and my father had had both we were just reorganizing their lives getting remarried um and my grandmother said to you know everybody look you guys you got to come you got to get your kids now right like i've been with my grandmother since i was three and a half i'm now nine um so my grandma was like, okay, you guys got to, you know, figure out what you want to do. Uh, my my dad remarried and was living in Sylmar um, in Santa Bernardino County, L.A., up against the end. You know, and I went up there. We went up there for a few weekends. We, I guess they were like kicking the tires to see if they wanted us. And eventually my dad was like, no, we're going to start our own family. So we went to my mom. My mom had recently remarried to a man much younger than her a Vietnam vet who had done three tours in Vietnam and came back um, addicted to heroin he was 23 at the time so I'm nine he seemed like an adult to me at the time but you know looking back on it that's young Um, and my mom was uh, in her early 30s you know at this time and they had made a commitment to try to have a family. And so for a little while they were sober, I um, mean, clean and sober, um, but that didn't last that long. By the time, at the end of my sixth grade year, seventh grade year, um, they were both back into their addictions. But there was addictions all over. Like my dad was a, a, a pot addict, you know. My dad, I never knew my dad sober, you know, ever. He, he was always high. He smoked silos of pot, like, You know it was up my fourth grade was like purple haze you know it was like pot smoke everywhere you know a lot of secondhand. i mean and they were very free thing both very creative people but very very into their addiction um you know when you do your kid stuff in school it's like what are your philosophies your family i asked my mom my mom said i'm a hedonist my dad said i'm an existentialist right So those are their philosophies of living, you know, from their own admission. And a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you tonight is from from their own viewpoint. You know, these are their philosophies. I'm not making it up. You know, I'm just, like, reflecting back to you what, you know, what I saw and what I experienced with my family. So my mom... So about that time, so we're talking like around the late 70s in East in East County, San Diego. About that time, methamphetamine started coming um, more onto the streets as a drug. Um, by the time i was in junior high and early high school i felt like you know all everybody that all the parents of everybody that i knew were making it in their bathtub like everybody was doing math it was a real real breaking bad situation like i lived through a lot of it drug dealing who was dealing my mom was dealing drugs um my I, you know i was in the band in high school and my mom was dealing drugs to the some of the band parents you know it was just you know everywhere i didn't know what normal was right like i didn't know um that there were no normal people made me nervous as a child because of what my background was like like you know if i got invited over to a girlfriend's house and it was normal there i felt really weird i felt afraid because you know it was like you know p- people were emotionally regulated you know in their house like it was it was weird to to be around normal people for me so um moved again moved again um then when i was in high school just trying to you know get to the point where i uh started recovering until i was you know 12 stepped into recovery um my uh mom and dad my mom and my stepdad is um my not my biological dad, but my stepdad at the time, my second stepdad, my second father, um, split up and divorced. And my mom saw my mom had a bunch of people move in to to our house. We were living out in a ranch house out out in Spring Valley. And um, my sister had turned eighteen and split. Like you know, the second she could get out, she left we know we my sister did not care for me growing up like we weren't ever friends my sister did not like my company didn't want me around um and she got out as soon as she could i was younger um so i'm still at home trying to get through high school and it was getting it was pretty crazy um My mom thought a really good business model would be, you know, sell drugs and then use the proceeds to pay the rent. But the proceeds got used. Right. So it's not a good business model, you know, for methamphetamine addicts. It was just, you know. So, again, we were evicted and I was now homeless and my mom had been introduced to the needle at this point. So she was now shooting methamphetamine. All right. So it really was going from bad to worse. Um, and. I needed a place to live. So my house, my home fell apart. Like I was homeless, but I didn't ever run away. Like I was homeless at, you know, in during high school. I had to beg my aunt, who lived um just on the other side of my high school district, you know, um, just a few, you know, she was in I was in Lemon Grove at this time, and I begged her to let me come and live with her. Um, she didn't want to at first. Um, now I know why she was hesitant. Um, I moved in there and uh, to try to finish high school. Um, this is the beginning of my senior year. Uh, her husband, her now ex husband, um, uh, uh, sexually assaulted me uh, pretty quickly after I moved in. Um, I'm like 16 and a half, seven, 17, I just turned 17 at the time. Um, and then, And then I left right i dropped out i i just i flipped out no one you know it was i left um i did have i had been introduced to somebody an adult whose phone number i had who i called um in the middle of the night when this happened and uh she called child protective services and they came out they talked to my uncle the family it became known in the family but nobody did anything you know and i i left and i'm you know at this point i'm a teenager so I moved in, I moved out to Alcohol. I dropped out of high school. I moved to Alcohol to a safe space. Then one of them 30 minutes left. Okay, okay, thank you very much. So I'm going to just say at that point, someone suggested Alatine to me. So I started going to Alatine because my uncle wasn't out, al- my ex uncle um, was an alcoholic. And they said, oh, he did this because he was drunk, right? He didn't do it because he was drunk, he did it. And I hope that this isn't offending to anybody, but he actually uh, liked Donald Trump, okay? Um, a pedophile, you know, a serial rapist. It was came to our family story, all the different kinds of things that he had done, you know, after that. So anyway, it was suggested to me that I try Alateen. I'm 17. I start going to Alateen meetings. And it wasn't for me, okay, at the time. Um There were kids there whose dads were falling asleep drunk on the couch at night and not present in that way. And that wasn't what my experience was. And I did not feel at home there. So I began kind of a bit of a rootless experience. When I, when, so when I, right before uh, the ranch fell apart, my mom had a bunch of people move in one of those people was a woman who I fell in love with I happen to be a lesbian it's just part of my part of my background my story like I have blue eyes but um anyway I fell I fell for this woman who who was an addict so at this point I'm you know I had been invited to come and live and finish high school I did manage to graduate from high school um and then uh tried to just you know, survives jobs. And I went into um, the dry cleaning field. I got a job at a basically a sweatshop. Okay. Dry cleaning, 99 cents sweatshop, you know, definitely would not pass OSHA, a lot of chemical exposure, you know, whatever. Um, And I stayed there for a while thinking that my, my self-esteem was so low that I didn't feel anybody would want me anywhere else, you know, I just went into, you know, uh, whatever, whoever would take me, you know, kind of whoever would take me, um, they, they gave me a job, and I worked hard and, you know, for low pay, and you know, all of that. Um, during this time, I met a, during this time, I met a woman who used to come and buy her drugs from um, the woman that lived next door to me, a woman named Paula. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, um, moving around, moving around here and there, whatever. I got re I I, I happened to move in next door to her somehow in Hillcrest. All right, so I moved into moved to Hillcrest, and and this woman Paula lived next door. But by the time that I had run into her, she was now clean and sober, and also in recovering a lot of other programs. She was in everything. Uh, she was in AA, she was in uh NA, she was in Sex and Love Addicts, she was in Al-Anon. she was in ACOA. Well, I started dating her and she said that she and she was nervous at first because she had met me, you know, when she was still out using. And so she was nervous at first, but you know, we hit it off and we started dating and she introduced me and she 12 set me, you know, into the program. Um one of the first uh things that I remember is that she was her telling me about the program and Melody Beattie's codependent no more had just come out. So I bought her. This was in October. So I started dating her sometime. I started going to meetings in in, in October of 1987. Okay. Um at that time in San Diego County, there was a there still is a very vibrant gay and lesbian, now LGBT. Um, recovery program and we had our own um club the live and live and let live Olano club for any of you might uh, be familiar with that and know uh what that was it was we had a really big building and now it's in a smaller place um and she was going to meetings and she introduced me to aca um and so i bought her this book because you know wanting to please her right i'm untreated at this point i bought her this book and she just kind of like Smile, kind of laughed a little bit, and, like kind of patted me on the head, not really, but a little bit. She's like, Here, honey, you read this, right? Like, thanks for buying me this. Why don't you read this, right? So that was kind of um my introduction to the program. And then we started going to meetings in October of 87. um And I also started Al Anon very closely on the heels of, of that. So I went to ACA, I consider ACA my primary program and followed closely by al i see Alanon. it helps me deal with my relationships with other people um aca definitely helps me deal with my relationship with myself so she you know she was in a program for a reason we were dating and uh in fact fe- we had a and you know she was a sex and love addict and uh we had a date we were together as a couple and we had a date for, for valentine's day february 14th and she stood me up. She stood me up to be with somebody else. Um, I got one of my char- one of my character traits is that you know if you um, hurt me or piss me off, this is the old me. I'm gonna ice you out. I'm never speaking to you again. If I see you coming, I'm gonna turn my back. I'm not gonna. I'm not a. I don't get hot mad a lot. I get cold mad, right? So it's like you're done. You're out in the hall. You're in the doghouse. You're out, right? Um, I've since uh recognized this in myself um, and realized I'm not perfect, you know. Um anyway, so she stood me up, Valentine's Day, and that was it. So we were done. I didn't speak to her for another three years, right? Like, and I had and so that week I had to make a decision. Am I gonna go to program? Am I gonna continue working this program for myself, or have I been doing it for her? I at that point made a commitment to keep going for myself. So my anniversary is the first Tuesday after Valentine's Day because our meetings were Tuesdays. Um and that was over three decades ago. We're going 37 something years now, you know, in recovery. And that was hard. It was very scary to keep going to meetings for myself because she was in the you know, she was in the rooms. She was very popular. Everybody loved her, you know, she was everybody's friend, you know. Um and I felt like The odd one out it was hard it was really scary for me to commit to keep going but i did and i kept going very soon after that another woman in the program approached me and was like you know you need a sponsor i'll be your sponsor you know um so that went on a little bit and then she redefined the dynamics of the relationship. And we got into a relationship. This is called 13 stepping people don't do it. <laughs> um, I learned that I want to share that as a cautionary tale. Um, I did get 13 stepped in recovery. Um, that is, uh, uh, inappropriate. And it set me back a little bit. Um, I was with this woman for five years, um, around the time that, um, yeah, so I was with her for five years. I was getting some recovery. I was going to meetings for sure. Um, I had a sponsor. I was trying to work the steps. When I first came in, the steps were like hieroglyphics on the wall. I look at them. I was like, what do you mean restored sanity? I didn't know sanity. Really happy to um, have encountered Tony A's 12 steps because clarity has been really key um, for me. I never got the chance to meet tony a i did meet one of his contemporaries one of his running buddies jack um who was instrumental in helping you know the foundation of aca get started and i got a chance to hear him um which i'm grateful for and we didn't have anything in the in the rooms at the time um we had a few mimeograph copies of uh the promise the promises we also had a bill of rights and i want to be an advocate i'll talk a, a little bit more about um what it's like now what, you know um i'm an advocate for um the bill of rights and some of the other foundational uh materials that we had. we didn't have much of anything we had um outside materials because at that time uh, we didn't have a publishing unit like we do now um anyway so i want to get back to what happened was because in 1992, um, I was now talking to Paula again, you know, some recovery under my belt. We were uh, friendly again and talking and um, Paula ended up taking her taking her life. And I want to share this with you because um She was sober, you know, at the time. And she, you know, she was breaking up with her girlfriend and she wasn't telling everybody what was happening. And it's really important, I've learned, that we have to share with each other. This is a mutual aid uh, recovery group. And it's really important for us to share with each other what's happening. One person knew she had gone off her Prozac. One other person knew she was breaking up with her girlfriend, but nothing was put together. And it really impacted me it impacted me deeply and i feel like um it changed the trajectory of my life at that point um even though we weren't together at the time i still loved her i mean i love i didn't break up with her cuz i didn't love her i broke up with her in a fit of pique i was pissed off you know um anyway so she so she took her life and and that was really hard and um over all these years she hasn't been the only one um in recovery than I know that I was even close to, recovery friends, you know, program buddies. Um, It is a deadly disease and it's important that we share what's going on again. I just want to I want to say that. So she took her life in 1992. I split um, with the woman that I previously discussed and talked to you about um, and began really trying to find you know myself you know the capital s self um i met somebody else a civilian a normie um who was a new yorker and um i was with her for two years two and a half years and she got a job she was in san diego i met her in san diego and she got a job offer to come back to new york which is her hometown you know she was born and raised in new york city and um she took it and she's like, "Hey, I'm going to move to New York. Um, do you want to come?" And so, at that point, I'm almost—I'm 30 years old, almost 30 years old. Um, because of my um, background, it took me a long time to get my undergraduate. I did eventually um, graduate from UCSD um, after a lot of fits and starts. Uh, you know, uh, because of ACA issues, you know, um, fear of success, fear of failure. Um, but you know just a lot of not knowing who i am what i really am, what 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 am i good at you know um kind of thing uh so so in 1995 i did move to new york city um i did find um al anon and aca meetings right away started going um and it, because it's important to me i learned in recovery um you know I asked an early sponsor like how oh, long do i have to go to these meetings or do i don't have to go to these meetings and she's like you have to go to the meetings until you want to go to the meetings right like that was her answer and eventually that came to pass eventually you know i got like smart feet like i found a home group a wednesday group and if you know if there wasn't unless there was an extraordinary circumstance it was a noon meeting was walkable from my job unless there was a reason to not go, I went week in, week out, week in, week out for years, for years, you know, Um, that meeting actually eventually had to move. Then we had the pandemic and, you know, you know, kind of here we are on zoom now, but um, that was my home group. I had a job that, that gave me the opportunity to travel all around and I've been, and I seek out ACA meetings where I go and it is something that I need to stay in, stay in the guide rails, you know? The And I am pretty much a traditionalist, I would say, in terms of recovery, go to meetings, call your sponsor, work the steps, use the phone list, you know? Um, and that has really helped me. Um, and, and it's also helped me grow a lot because as a lot of you have been around for a while, we come and go in meetings, you know, they're not perfect. We're trying to, you know, have adherence to the unenforceable, you know, and there've been meetings that have gotten really messy. Um, and there have been, you know, meetings where, you know, there are, uh, People that want to like, you know, nation build and capitalize on the meeting and take over the meeting. And, you know, uh, there was some vague thing. I don't know. I never heard it or saw it much. Some kind of pyramid sponsorship thing. I don't know what was going on for a while. Um, you know, the the whatever, was, you know, things go on in meetings. And luckily, we have the traditions that protect the meeting from the rest of us, you know, um, which is good. Which is great. Um, and, uh, and I, and that keeps me coming back, you know, uh, I heard early on, you know, take what you want and leave the rest. Um, I also hear a lot, you know, um, there's no one way to do it. I agree with that, but it is important to do it. That is my philosophy. It is a 12 step program. And I personally feel for the greatest recovery. I have to work the steps, like the steps are important and also sponsoring people. After I've worked the steps, then I felt like, and it took a while to get through all of them because I really didn't understand, especially a lot of the amends stuff, you know. Um, but Tony A's vision of it has really helped me, especially with Most of the amends have had to be towards myself for making the decisions that put me in harm's way. That was really, you know, important for me to recognize. Um, Also, I don't have to make amends for my feelings. I don't have to like everybody. I learned that in recovery. I don't have to make amends for the fact that I have a negative view of my uh, of my parents, you know, I don't feel like my parents did the best they could. They, my parents did the best they could to service their addictions, right? That's they that was they, they their addictions were like their children. They cared for their um addictions like their it was their children and the rest of us, you know, we're getting our food out of the dented can aisle, you know, food stamps, charity, you know, Section 8 housing, AFDC, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, and it's been okay, you know, for me to be in acceptance about this, you know, clarity and acceptance. Um, I do not have, I don't feel like, it is required for me personally to forgive my parents. Um, forgiveness comes when amends are made and the behavior stops, and that just it, it never did. You know, what I have to do to recover is I have to admit that there was a, a a problem, and I have to be in acceptance about what happened and what and what is. So for myself, that's been a, an important distinction. So if any of you sit with the struggle about amends and forgiveness and all of that it's it's not really uh to me it's not required i do need to, thank, you. thank you i do need to stay out of um resentment and bitterness uh, i feel like you know that type of activity hurts me um just like bitter table for one you know over here um and to find this find a sense of humor and some graciousness in the thing in the thing and that helps me help others, you know. Nothing that I share with, with people in recovery is it's not the Heather A program. I'm just giving back what was so freely given to me. We didn't have, we didn't have anything in the beginning. Um, so uh, you know. And I'm grateful for the collective wisdom of the program <clears throat> over all of these decades. You know, there was no red book, you know, when I first started, um, there was no, okay. And this beauty, I do have some show and tell. I'm not sure how far. So I did, there was this, this is my copy. This is an old, this is 1986. It's not a quote unquote conference cruise, It's called the 12 steps, a way out a working guy. This was my old one from the eighties. Right but fast forward look at this beautiful thing this is the the what we call back here i don't know what it's called in the rest of the country the four by four the la- the laundry list the other laundry list the flip side the other flip side you know that t- the four by four that's what we call it right here this is integrating our laundry list trip this has been um this has helped my strengthen my recovery um again i couldn't have really made sense of it until i worked the steps because that really that really helped me um bring a lot of clarity like i said you know um to how this program works and how it can benefit me um i do let me see what do i want to make sure that i um talk about yeah oh the four the four step um, want to just talk for a minute about the four step because one of the things that I did in my four step early on is a denial inventory. And I did not know going into that. that there was like, there's nine types, there's nine different types of denial. There's minim- minimizing, which is a form of denial. There's justification, you know, making excuses for this flat out denial like that didn't happen. Of course, it did happen. But there's a lot of nuance in the denial thing. And the reason I say that is because I have and I still have a tendency to like wear the rose colored glasses to be a little Pollyanna and I can rush into things. I can paint you know, uh, red, red lights, green, right. Red flags, green. I cannot see like what is actually in front of me. Um, I could be like, Hey, let's do this. It's going to be great. And then I didn't really take into consideration a lot of stuff. I will, you know, still operate kind of out, out of that a little bit and not, and, and it, end up injuring myself harming myself not choosing myself right so i want to make sure that um that i share that i still i still do struggle with that the other thing too that i'm still working on is um fear you know um uh, in the early papers tony a talked about how they were originally was going to be that were addicted to fear and then they changed it to to the language because they thought that would be too negative and nobody would come back so they changed it to like We we become addicted to excitement, Um, possibly and probably not just from my um, violent, uh, you know, experiences growing up, um, but also because, you know, my mom was doing drugs when she was pregnant with me. I am wired for fear. It's something that I pray for. I pray to be released from. Um, Tony A's 12 steps helped me realize that my higher power does not want me to live in fear. My higher power does not want me to have a baseline of low level anxiety, like every single day. So I work on releasing fear. I work on feeling safe. Um, I do have, you know, uh, financial insecurity. Um, I do have housing insecurity, uh, you know based on you know uh my challenges from my childhood and that i still work on um it's not real today um you know luckily where other people have not made it i have had some amount of resilience um maybe it's you know i come by it naturally maybe i've learned it in the rooms um again like Program meetings are my constant companion. You know, it's they're with me always. I will, you know, uh, repeat to myself some Bill of Rights. You know, if I'm in a situation in my head, of like I have the right to say no, I have the right to change my mind, I have the right to be irrational in making decisions. Right. That's that th- these things help me. So I will use all these tools, you know, all the time still. Right. Early on, I learned and I heard someone say, and I like to say this, like, if your parents are zebras, you're going to have stripes. And I have the stripes, you know. Um, a lot of people, when they hear my story, they're like, oh, my God, you seem so normal. I mean, you, you know, that was rejection. You know, I wanted, I wanted to know what normal was. I wanted a life with, you know um, – Some consistency and stability, you know, Um, and I had to go and build it for myself and it came slowly, you know, it wasn't like the thing from like my 20s, it was going to program meetings over and over again. And realize and hearing people go through stuff that I've gone through, the challenges that I've gone through. When someone shows up in meetings and says, "Oh my gosh, my parents are meth addicts," I'm like, "Oh, thank you," you know, because I don't feel alone. I'm I'm in a room with people who understand what what was what it was like, you know, um, the crazy, you know, that that existed. So yeah, so I've been in program, and you know, and I do service. Um, service is important. Um, this, the, 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 the structure of, you know, the world service and doing service is important. Um, I, you know, from time to time, uh, things come up in the rooms that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I, but I do try to be at least a minority voice, you know, in that, um, there's a current thing that's been going around about you know the literature policy should we have conference approved literature only or not i like to go back to like a really really old copy of the literature and realize that when we came in when we you know when i was coming in that the program wasn't that old we had only what was going on in the outside we didn't have it, and it helped us some people like john bradshaw i particularly liked leo buscalia um, I was given uh, drama of the gifted child by Alice Miller as a, you know, um, and she changed the name to that book. The original name of that book was Prisoners of Childhood, and they probably changed it to the drama of the gifted child, just like you know, they changed it from, you know, we become addicted to fear, they change it to the excitement. So people will keep coming back, you know. Um we all, I also had this daily affirmation book for adult children. This is the Raquel Learner book. Um, some of you may have seen that. We do now have. Have our own uh we have another reader but this one is so loving and so gentle i just want to put in a plug for that i guess um i'm also not a proponent of what is now called so called the so called you know, aca serenity prayer i think it is limiting it's my opinion i'm a minority vote it goes around that appears in the red book in the chapter at work yeah, we're powerless at work. That's a transactional relationship, and the only thing we can do at work is to, you know, what it says, you know, in that particular version of the Serenity Pair. But it's more than just people. It's I'm people, places, and I'm things. Thank you. I am going to yeah. So people, places, and things. I think it, you know, to I, I like to, the words mean things. You know the wordings mean things, the exact meaning of the words mean things like in the promises, it says we're going to enjoy feeling stable and financially secure. Wow. I really am still waiting to enjoy feeling that I am much more stable and financially secure than I ever was, but I haven't yet gotten to the enjoying part of it. And I'm working on that. Right. So um, I didn't, know if I was going to, I have was feeling very nervous about this, but I have now come pretty much to the end of my time. I hope that, um, you know, what I've shared with you, um, you know, has found some traction with anybody. Um, and, you know, that's why I do it. Uh, that's why I said yes, because I don't like being the center of attention. I have terrible stage fright, anxiety. I write poetry and have been invited to speak, but I can't remember my own poems because I have this disassociation thing because of the violence. So it can it can be a challenge. Is was not safe in my home to be seen. So, um, you know, uh, so it's a challenge to, to do this. But um, you're my people. You're my people. And um, I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity. And um, I'm going to leave it there and um, keep coming back people. Your stories mean a lot to me. Um, It helps me keep coming. Thanks.